Um, Mr. Murphy, member McLaughlin, member Rousseau, all the hands I saw. I, I just had um, one specific point and one general one. Um, to the question about uh, seeking a legal opinion with regard to the notifications, I think I, I agree with, um, I'm not sure if it was Marianne or Tony, someone who said that the committee should seek that legal guidance. And I'll refrain from offering my own and um, uh, slipping back into a previous life of mine. But what I would say is that when seeking that legal opinion, know that there, that as is the case with any legal opinion, there's there's the potential for a real gulf between a legal opinion as to what is legal and what is considered best practice, which oftentimes what is best practice is the way that we pave the road to what eventually becomes legal or, or illegal. And so I think what the question is, what the policy is, what the intent is, all of that would have to factor into what the communication protocols are that that would be developed and more more generally what i would say is i th i think the the feedback and the comments are, are have been are very helpful um but i go back to the questions that i think mr rousseau asked earlier about um what about the unintended situations uh, excuse me un unanticipated situations and the reality is the nature of this challenge that we're facing most of the situations are going to be unanticipated to some extent. It's very unlikely we're going to see a fact pattern that is going to line up identical to, uh, to the examples we've used or the exact structure that we mapped out. And so from a policy perspective, I think what we're looking to, to have in these protocols is a framework that guides the administration on the city and the school side as to how to respond to whatever situation develops. But at the end of the day, it's regardless of what's written, it's going to come down to uh, utilization of public health expertise, all of us exercising our best uh, professional judgment, being vigilant, being transparent. And I think probably more than anything else, and I recognize why there's some uh, anxiety that comes with this, but being nimble to respond to whatever uh, the facts are on the ground at that time. And I think the nature of this particular public health crisis is that there's always some element uh, that is that is a surprise that's unanticipated. Sometimes it's we didn't expect the state agency to respond that way. Sometimes it's we didn't expect the data to suggest that. Um, but those are all the variables that are going to be in constant flux. And I think our goal, or I guess maybe I should say the committee's goal from a policy perspective, is to make sure the framework allows uh, the professionals to respond as we'll need to, regardless of, of the situation that comes up. Thank you. Thank you. Member McLaughlin, then Member Rousseau. Thank you, Mayor. And then uh, um, Yeah, regarding FERPA and HIPAA, um, I would love it if we could include that in the document so people understand what FERPA and HIPAA are, um, maybe with a citation. So FERPA is the Federal Education Rights Protection Act and HIPAA is the Health Information Protection Act. Um, but you know, both so community members can know their rights and also everybody understands what HIPAA and FERPA are. Um, and from what I've understood, just, you know, special education obviously has a lot of um, legalese and a lot of legal issues. And I've understood that FERPA and HIPAA are really um, some pretty strong um, legal language. And again, I think it's great to get um, advice from a, an attorney. I would um, suggest that we're getting, an, you know, advice from an attorney that has experience um, specifically with FERPA and HIPAA um, and or violations. So um, that would be something I would definitely recommend, but also if you could provide the information for families, that would be great. And then 
I guess to member Graham's point, I was thinking about <clears throat> years ago, you know, with my two children, you know, and having been in an elementary school and there being a lice um, pandemic, <laughs> if you will, uh, and the overreaction of so many community members with the lice in our school that we actually had to create an education program where, um, you know, a, a, a nurse, a school nurse from Cambridge actually would come in and do these presentations based on a business that she had to share sort of um, a lot of and help people really understand sort of a lot of the misinformation people were, were washing everything and, you know, all these things that she taught the community that we didn't need to do. Um, and it really helped with the hysteria. And so to that end, I think we need to think about um, what sort of impact this can have, uh, particularly if you're talking about at the classroom level, when Marianne is talking about potentially being able to identify uh, a student or students. And so the bullying implications that that can have, the you know hysteria that that can create, I think are really important as well. So I think we need to be thinking about um, how we're handling, handling that, I guess it's a social emotional component, but who is thinking about how we're handling if someone tests positive for COVID in an elementary school, for example, and people are able to deduce who that person is um, or persons are. Um, how are we educating the other students and family members so that they're not um, frankly bullying um, or, or um, alienating? Uh, I think we need to have some sort of programming around that. So um, those are my two comments. Um, so, but I would ask that you include the FERPA and HIPAA information in uh, the document so people know what it is. And then um, I'm gonna put the bullying question on the table for, for folks to consider. Thank you. Thank you, Member McLaughlin. Member Rousseau, then Member Kratz. Thank you. Um, I, I spoke earlier about, you know, the, the need for speed um, and I, it sounds like that. I, I feel pretty confident that that's the case. Um, although I did, um, Mr. Murphy said something that also jostled another uh, important point, you know, um, while every case will probably be somewhat different, um, I, I think we shouldn't overestimate that, like, it, it, a year afterwards, we go back and look at these cases, there will be a, a lot of these cases will probably be pretty much the same thing. A kid came to school after getting COVID from a parent or a sibling or, you know, I mean, at this point in the pandemic, um, I do think we can imagine most of the scenarios, frankly. Uh, so I guess my concern is, um, are we gonna get the same result, the same action when a third grader comes to school with no siblings at one school and then six weeks later, a third grader comes to school with no siblings at another school, in another classroom. Are we gonna get the exact same results? Um, and I know in medicine, I don't, I couldn't find the definition of this, um, you know, this thing where when a doctor gets a rare disease, it deals with a patient with a rare disease, every patient for the next year, they think that patient, their, their patients all have that rare disease and they don't. Um, and, and I wish I could remember the name of that, but I am concerned about that happening where we react some way and that impacts how we react the next time because that's that's totally human nature um so i want us to react the same way every time unless of course there was something wrong with the way we reacted and i just don't feel like this document gives me confidence that we will we know how we're going to react and we're going to react the same way every time so 
I'll stop asking questions because um, I think there's a lot of people who want to speak from the public as well. But I just wanted to say that. Thank you. Member Kretz. Thank you. Um, yes, and I spoke earlier um, about the frequently asked question document. And I think at this time, I think it's just really important that we do a document like that for the community due to the, due to the complexity of the metrics. So I want to make a motion to prepare a frequently asked document with some of the key questions that were asked tonight and their answers. I think it'll be really helpful for our community. Second. Can I... Um can mm -hmm. I offer a friendly amendment? Yeah. Um, yeah. I would love to see that also include some sort of summary of what contact tracing looks like for the community, um, as well as um, the, I'll say, visual representation that Member McLaughlin talked about earlier. So to me, it's there's like a, there's a packaging of all of this information that has to happen mm -hmm. um, that I think could be consolidated into, into your motion if you are so inclined. Oh yes, no, that sounds great. I think that would be really helpful. Thank you. Okay, so this is a re resolution to do a question and answer se section. Mm -hmm. um, identify what contract tracing looks like and have a vis visual representation um, if possible on the draft. Miss um, yes. O'Connor. Um, hi, can I just ask, a, I, I know Sean Began worked hard on a visual representation of the contact tracing and I thought it was actually, um, you know, we, we, we all had a, a chance to look at it and I thought it was really helpful. And it is just a graphic, because uh, I don't know if if you um, have that point available, Tom, Point of information. Yeah. Sorry. Excuse me, Marianne. Just point of information. I would love to see that, and I think that would be really helpful. But I also just would like to clarify, I don't think it's just the contact tracing we need the visuals on. We need some visuals on scenarios, what have you. I'm actually sending or about to send out a um, an email, and I'll copy the committee members on a link to some uh, samples of visual representation. Um, of these things, especially for um, maybe people who aren't PhDs, um, who aren't English speakers, who, um, you know, could use a very sort of basic and simple uh, image. And I appreciate Mr. Began's efforts as well. I'd love to see that. Thank you. Thank you. Motion by Member Kretz, seconded by Member McLaughlin. Roll call. Yes. Uh, Member Graham. Yes. Uh, Member Kretz. Yes. Member McLaughlin? Yes. Member Mistone? Yes. Member Rousseau? Yes. Member Vanderkloot? Yes. Mayor Lungo Kern? A yes, seven the affirmative, zero in the negative. Paper passes. Mayor? D Mr. Murphy? Mayor, just, could you, we just reiterate one more time exactly what the, the direction is there? If there's any questions that were asked tonight or that have come from the public that aren't answered by reviewing the four pages that they be further explained maybe in a question and answer section yep. right next to where this will be posted on the website okay and a visual is the visual representation part as be, being considered sort of part of the faq piece or are we saying that we want to add a visual representation piece to the to the 
um, sort of mother part. It's not clear, so I think we'd first need to get the visual and then we can decide where to add it. Okay. We'll take a look at what Mr. Began did. Um, we can send sure. that around to the committee and so that everybody can take a look and we can address that at our next meeting. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Um, I know now we have, um, Member Rousseau, are there any um, emails? Yes, thank you for reminding me. <laughs> um, I have a comment from um, Megan Bayer of Kilgore Avenue in Medford. Um, let me increase the font. Getting older is fun. Um, uh, Megan says, um, hello, I am writing to comment on the following agenda item, um, the one we're talking about right now. Um, I am commenting by email as I may not be able to watch the meeting tomorrow live as I juggle two kids from home with remote school plus working my full-time job. I urge you to continue to work hard to get our kids back to school as soon as possible. I know you are working under the framework of equity, consistency, and safety, and I appreciate that. However, I do not think that framework is in conflict with moving to a hybrid learning in the immediate future. The science and facts on the ground support that kids get back in school, that getting kids back in school can be done safely with PPE, social distancing, and adherence to state guidance and regulations. See the 922-20 article on the Boston Globe concerning the emergency childcare facilities. Also, the positivity rate remains low in Massachusetts and in Medford. Additionally, it is so important to the issues of equity and consistency that kids get back in school. We have struggled with technical problems with our school-issued Chromebook. One issued is my uh, to my son has worked without any problems, and the one issued to my daughter has had many problems with Zoom in just the first two days of kindergarten. We are in a position where we are fortunate to have a second device, a tablet that we were able to switch my daughter to, which has worked. However, not everyone has another device available. We are not. We are also fortunate enough to have been able to increase our internet bandwidth in preparation for having two kids homeschool home during school and two parents working home. But not everyone can do that either. It has also become clear to me that learning remotely is rarely is really hard for kids, especially kindergartners. I am sure it is even more challenging for high needs students. The teachers are doing the best they can and really they are doing a great job in these tough circumstances. I have been very impressed with both the second grade and kindergarten teachers my kids have. However, remote school just isn't the same and it does not sufficiently address my kids' social emotional needs. It is not how students learn, it, at least not the young students. Accordingly, when evaluating the metrics that will inform school decision-making and balancing all the factors at play, I urge you to continue to prioritize moving forward with in-person school for high needs students and with all other students soon after with an emphasis on the younger students and vocational students. Thank you for your time and attention to this manner. Let me check to see if there's anything else. Um, there is a person um, um, who would like to speak on this. I don't know if we were gonna, how you were gonna do that, but I believe there is a Maria Carmona. I don't know if she's on right now. Said she wanted to speak. She okay, is I'll on. So um, she wrote in a message in asking that she can speak. So um, I think she's unmuted now. Maria. Hi, I'm Maria Carmona. I recently graduated class of 2024. And I want to talk a little bit more about the school's plan to reopen on Monday, which is a Jewish holiday of Yom Kippur. 
this is a very holy holiday that Jews are around the world. Uh, it's like the equivalent to Easter. And I think the school, uh, first of all, planning the first day of school on Yom Kippur seems like to me in the rest of the community, everybody else I talked about, an accident. It doesn't seem like something that you would obviously do intentionally. Uh, so I, I read the patch article by uh, coincidentally, my former teacher, uh, Liz Deneu, uh, requesting that you change it. And I would just like to address that. I think it would be very important, especially in these times when uh, there have been a significant uptake in like uh, uh, anti-Semitic attacks upon um, Jews to actually recognize uh, that they have this day. And I don't think anybody's asking for a day off. I think they're asking for a reasonable accommodation and unprecedented time to actually move the start of in-person classes one day after Yom Kippur. Uh, and I think that the school's refusal to do that just seems like prioritizing the abstract con, the abstract uh, idea that the school committee is right and that we have to go by a plan over the small mistake that they actually made by scheduling the first day of school on Yom Kippur. Uh, I also come from the idea that if you do this, if you accommodate these individuals that need this day off, it's going to show like a greater, uh, you know, <laughs> It's going to show like a, a great amount of just gratitude, great amount of gratitude from the people who are working in the school, from the people who go to school, from the people who are stakeholders within our community. It's going to show that the school committee actually cares. And especially when you're asking them to go into an environment which many feel is unsafe to work, giving them this time to actually uh, exert their emotions is good for their emotional and spiritual well-being by moving it one day back. I think we also need to acknowledge that Bloomberg Philanthropies has been one of the greatest investors in Mefford Public Schools, in the city of Mefford, funding our new library, funding countless projects, uh, even funding you know, the temple right next door. We should probably take into account and honor the memory of Charlotte Bloomberg, who we're having our own library named, named after by actually giving this Holy Day of Yom Kippur, uh, giving this accommodation for the people who are currently in class. So I just would like the school committee to possibly vote on a moving the start of school one day back so it doesn't interfere with the holiday of Yom Kippur and sort of giving the respect to the students and teachers who actually celebrate it, especially during this unprecedented time. Nobody's going to be missing school. It's just going to enhance, you know, it's just going to enhance the education that people are actually going to receive. Thank you. Member McLaughlin. Thank you. Thank you, Maria, um, for mentioning that. I think it, it certainly was a mistake and an oversight. And I think um, one that is significant, I think uh, the high holidays for um, the Jewish community, um, it, this is the highest holiday they fast, as, as you know, all day long and uh, reflect on the year. And it's a really important um, holiday. And it would be the equivalent of uh, having a school on Easter or I guess the Christian community um, and or Christmas, I guess. Um, and I, I do think it's problematic even as the parent of a, of a child um, who has uh, significant needs and with the uh, high need students starting on Monday, I know that it's hard to uh, even push back one day, but I do think it is a symbol of inclusivity. Um, I think we have to really be considering um, these, these uh, high holidays and uh, as we think about Juneteenth even and June 19th and I think it's super important. Um, so I applaud your coming forward and speaking to us um, and I am going to make a motion that we uh, start uh, for our high need students on Tuesday the 29th as opposed to Yom Kippur, the high holiday for Judaism. Thank you. 
Dr. Edward Vincent, I, I know the scheduling issues um, are tremendous and I know that, I think can you, you can give us the correct count, but 300 families are expecting to start on Monday, although we did make the oversight by accident with yes. regards to our start date. So, so I, I definitely want to say that um, September 28th, I definitely acknowledge that uh, it was an oversight. And um, at the time when we had set the date and we even have school committees scheduled for that same day, um, it, it, it just, we were not aware at that point in time that it was Yom Kippur. Um, I have looked at our district numbers um, because when this did surface, I wanted to see what we were talking about. Um, in Medford Public Schools, on average, we have approximately um, 10 staff that um, formally, there may be others that are of um, Jewish descent, but approximately 10 staff that celebrate um, the high holidays of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Um, that are documented in our um, system. And I went back and looked at the data for last year as well. Um, in terms of September 28th, um, not being our first day of school, school started in Medford Public Schools last week on September 16th. Um, Monday the 28th would be the first opportunity for in-person instruction. Um, when we were looking at um, the data, it appears that we will have one classroom teacher that will be um, impacted, but for the three to 400 students that are our high needs, most vulnerable students, um, we really feel like we have to get them into school. Um, I want to say on the record that anyone who is of Jewish descent and celebrates the holiday or any of the high holidays, it does not go against you. It's not, um, you are not penalized for the time, nor are students penalized for not being in school. So I would encourage anyone of the Jewish faith who celebrates um, Yom Kippur uh, on the 28th that if that, that is their religious day, that they definitely are entitled to take that day to, you know, to pray and reflect and, and celebrate that day. So no one will be penalized in a negative way. We did look at um, uh, the staffing requirements and the people who have submitted um, and officially put in for the time. And um, it is something that we need to definitely address. And we talked about it that it will be something that we'll be addressing more formally um, at next week's school committee meeting. Member Rousseau has put forward, um, you know, a proposed resolution. Um, so it is something that is on everyone's radar. I do want to say that it truly was an oversight. It was not done um, to disrespect, to insult any of our Jewish friends, Jewish members of the community, and. Um, the oversight that happened this, this year will not happen again, but for um, all the work that has been done coordinating um, the transportation for our most vulnerable and um, working with families, reaching out to um, all of those that are classified as our most 
vulnerable, several hundred students. Um, I, I just feel at this point in time to change the start of school from Monday, September 28th to Tuesday, um, that that would end up truly being um, uh, a hardship. I, I know families have been asking, even, even today when Member Rousseau just read um, one of the comments from a member of the community saying that um, they really would like children to be back in school and begin instruction. Um, social, emotionally, I am really concerned. That is the area um, that we, we do need to have kids back in school, spread apart in a socially distant way, as safe as possible, practicing hand hygiene and wearing masks and everything else that's important. But I, I feel at this point in time, um, my recommendation would be that we continue with school on Monday. Um, again, no one is penalized. No Jewish staff or students are um, penalized for celebrating a religious holiday as with any holiday, whatever your religious um, affiliation may be, you are not penalized if you are um, celebrating or uh, a particular religious holiday. So um, that would be my recommendation um, to the school committee. I know that a motion was put forward, but um, I do feel for the hundreds of students that are waiting to come back to school on Monday, that that would also be a great disappointment to both them and their families that are waiting to begin in-person instruction. Thank you, Dr. Edward Vincent. Mem Member Mastone. Thank you, Mayor, and thank you, Maria, um, for speaking out. I do wanna just say that I did speak to the teacher who wrote the letter to the patch, and I think we had a healthy conversation, and I respect her faith and, um, the hurt that it is that her day is not the Jewish faith day is the same day that we're starting school. And I told the teacher too, that over the last month, I have received heartbreaking emails from families feeling like they're in crises. And so I, I want to honor the Jewish faith and say, um, we respect it. And um, it's important to us and teachers and families won't be penalized, but, and this is an off year, we're in the middle of pandemic. Typically, you know, the teacher said this holiday is while we're four weeks into school. So this has never happened before. It was never an issue before, but we're in the middle of a pandemic. It was an oversight that we apologize for, but I think the, the children that are our most vulnerable, they're regressing day by day and to push it back another day. Really, I, I, I struggle with this. I, since I've, I've talked to the teacher a few hours ago. I've been talking to my own kids, um, trying to figure it out. And we're, we're practicing Catholics. We know how important religious holidays are. Um, and I wanna know that I respect that, but some of these families are really hurting and, and those kids are hurting. And I think right now in this pandemic, I, I, I apologize that I'm prioritizing these vulnerable population because um, please know that all faiths, you know, and I think Mr. Rousseau will talk about it more. All faiths are, are important and um, are valuable to our community. So I do apologize, but I do think these, these vulnerable students need to get into the building with their 
OT and PT and teachers. And um, so I apologize if my vote is not how people expect it to go, but I think these kids right now and families um, right now have to be the precedent in this pandemic and it won't happen again. God forbid another pandemic happens next year, but that these holidays will always be respected. Thank you. Thank you, Member Stone. Member McLaughlin? Thank you, Member Stone, for your always impassioned um, comments. We, I appreciate them. Um, I, I feel too uh, very much for the um, most vulnerable students and have also received many, many emails, conversations, uh, phone calls um, with all of them. And even before the pandemic, I have received those phone calls and emails um, around their struggles and uh, the life that they live daily. And I think one thing that we um, can all agree on is the importance of inclusion. Um, and I do feel like that community recognizes inclusion probably better than most um, and the needs uh, of making sure that everybody feels valued and welcomed. Um, and I, I don't think that uh, one day difference is going to make that much of a difference for our vulnerable students. Um, it has been nearly six months um, and they are certainly regressed. I have no doubt about that. I don't think one day will make a dis difference about them starting on a Monday or a Tuesday. I do think symbolically, this is a huge message to our community about what we value um, around inclusion and around making sure that people feel valued. And again, I appreciate the superintendent's comments about, you know, well, if you celebrate, you don't have to come. To school, but at the same time, then you're missing out, you know, all of these opportunities that are being presented at school and the community and everything else. Um, so it's sort of like saying, well, you know, if you're uh, if you use a wheelchair, you don't have to use this building um, if there's no access. It's sort of, you know, and and so I don't feel that that's appropriate. I feel like we need to be inclusive as a community, and uh, we really need to give this some thought. It was a mistake, no doubt, um, and we make mistakes, and I think. Um, it's important to be able to own them, to apologize, to say we're sorry, we made a mistake. And even if there are only 10 community members that are Jewish, and I don't think that that's an accurate number, but even if there were only 10, this is not just um, a religious holiday. It is the high holiday um, for the Jewish faith. And it's a very, very significant holiday. Thank you. Thank you, Member McLaughlin. Member Rousseau? Well, I guess I have to speak now that Mia said I was going to speak. <laughs> I was going to speak anyways. Thanks, but, um, <laughs> thanks me. Um, I, um, I am incredibly torn on this. Um, I've actually been back and forth probably as many times as I've thought about it. Um, I do have a motion on the next agenda. Um, I think we need to take a look at the, the process for creating the school calendar. I actually don't think that um how that calendar is created has really been uh looked at by the committee in a long time um i i am an incredibly strong advocate of the separation of church and state so i think i may not necessarily be where everybody else is but i do think that if we are going to support our community um that it should be the entire community um and there's no it's either everybody or nobody is the only two options i see um, so I, I think uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to having that probably heated conversation um, in subcommittee, which will, of course, be uh, available to stream and on Zoom. <laughs> um, but I, I guess uh, one of my concerns right now with this change, um, and um, I, I, I find it interesting that we're talking about postponing the start of the students 
Um, for me, it feels like we should be talking about whether or not Monday becomes an official holiday effective immediately. Um, I, I don't really understand this this middle ground of um, that seems to be the only option anybody's talking about. Um, although I'm not clear that if we made Monday an official holiday effective immediately, that that's allowed, if there's contract implications, if there's even legal implications, um, the number of school days and all that other stuff, it's so complicated uh, to make such a change on uh, incredibly short notice. Um, but, you know, when I think about the students that were going to be coming back on Monday or are, depending on how we vote on this, um, you know, I'm thinking about certainly all the students who have services that they need to get access to. Um, but I also feel like for me, um, the subset of those are the students who have the homeless students who are being transported to our community, which is their community, but they don't happen to live here right now. Um, and um, I, I just can't put myself in the in the in what it's like um, for those students. Um, and I do think every day matters. I, I aside from the the general emails that we are all getting from the community. Um, most of us, I'm sure, have friends with children who are not doing well at all and would be included in this group of kids on Monday. Um, and, you know, um, so, you know, this is a pandemic. I expect that all of us are going to have to give up something if, if, um, if the Department of Ed says we all have to go to school on Christmas to catch up with days. Um, I, I'm sure we would all be screaming and I would support it. Um, so um, I, I think that in a pandemic, well, I mean, I say it like we've done it before, which we haven't. Um, um, I, I just think that all of the rules and all of the things and sensibilities that we have, we have to kind of put them on the, the, the wall and decide whether or not we're really going to um, treat this as if it's a normal year. It is not a normal year. Um, and I do think one day for some of the people, especially one of my best friends, one day is a big deal, is a huge deal. Every day is a day of complete crisis from the moment the day starts until the day is over. All day long. I get the text at eight o'clock, at nine o'clock, at 10 o'clock. I'm not exaggerating. Um, this is it's a crisis, and I do think one day matters. So I will not be voting to make um, to ex to move the schedule one day out for these these families. Thank you, Member Vandekloot. Hi. So this is the proverbial between a rock and a hard place. Both sides have very strong arguments. Um, there is no win if you would, uh, in having to make this decision. As I look to it, I certainly respect every thought that my colleague Melanie has put forth, um, and as well as my other colleagues. Um, as I said, there's, there's just, it's between a, a rock and a hard place. Um, ultimately, I've looked and thought about um, our past um, practice and the past practice in Medford has been that we had not, have not voted to include these holidays in our calendars as days off but rather than um, faculty members, staff members, students um, who are observing 
the high holy day would be taking that day off. Um, and um, there was always in the past, no tests were supposed to be given on these days. So there was always a uh, understanding um, of sensitivity that students who would be out on these days would not be missing uh, something critical. Um, so if I think about this and yes, you know, obviously uh, uh, Paul Rousseau is completely right. It's not every other year, but in some ways thinking about it as we started school, there are going to be teachers who are observing the holiday with our, our blessings and, and love and they will be out for the day. Uh, and their, their classrooms will have, um, uh, my understanding is they're either leaving work uh, for students or that there will be a substitute uh, in place. There will be, and I've, I've asked um, to try to, to the superintendent to, to, to see what impact this is. There, it looks like there's a very small number of faculty, perhaps one, maybe two, who um, actually are being called in on Monday to be um, in person on Monday. Um, while I certainly can be uh, um, concerned and feel a little badly that they're gonna miss their first day, this date, September 28th, has been out for quite a while now. And um, I think that, um, that if, I, if I need to look at the balance of it, we have for weeks been, been receiving messages of concern from our most needy students and families. Um, I, I just think that um, compassion for these families um, has to um, um, tip the scales slightly in their favor. Um, it is by no means uh, without um, knowing I have deep respect for members of the Jewish faith um, and that um, I feel you know, badly that some people are going to take this in a negative way. But in the end, I also have to think what is the, the most compassionate stance that I can take and that is has to go with um, with the kids coming into school. Thank you, Member Van de Kloot. Member Kretz. Yes, thank you. And um, yes, I, I too have been struggling with this, um, you know, getting, reading the patch and just all the different messages we're getting from the students with the most, vul the most vulnerable students in their families. Um, I have, you know, um, close relatives that um, are high needs and you know it's it's I've seen it firsthand um, the complications that my um, my sister-in-law has with her with her son and my, my sister had with her son and you know the even like you know currently right now my son is struggling himself with the remote learning and you know it's just it can be so difficult and it's so hard to watch and see how they're struggling um, at the same time, you know, I'm a Catholic, I'm a practicing Catholic and um, I respect the holiday entirely. Um, it's just one of those tough situations where, you know, it's not going to be the right choice or it's not going to be the best decision, you know, what we're making, you know, um, for both sides. And it's just a, another very difficult situation um, during this pandemic that we're all experiencing. Um, so I just wanted to express that I feel for both sides and it's just a really tough, tough decision for all of us. Um, one thing I was thinking about was 
where we are having our school committee meeting that night, you know, would it be possible, in, you know, instead of not having school on Monday, but maybe moving our school committee meeting to another night, you know, maybe making, you know, that change might, that way there, you know, communities can celebrate the their holiday that evening without having to miss a school committee meeting or if there's administrators that um, would be part of the school committee meeting that might not be able to make it um, that I was just thinking about that um, where where we are also having a school committee meeting that night so I don't know if there's any uh, flexibility with changing the date of, of the school committee meeting thank you member Kretz Member Rousseau, then Member McLaughlin, then Mr. Murphy. Yes, thank you. Um, I, I, this is nothing to do with my colleagues. It's a common way we speak when we say the sides. I just, uh, and I do not for a second think anybody here meant that as that there are sides, that there's some kind of opposition or, um, you know, there's a right and a wrong here. Because I, I just want to make that crystal clear that I don't, I don't believe anybody meant it that way. And I shouldn't speak for other people. I'm sure that's totally not allowed and against the rules. But um, that this is not about sides, um, and it is not for me. I'll be crystal clear. For me, it is not about sides. Um, so um, I, I just wanted to mention that. Thank you, Mayor. Yes. Thank you. I don't. I don't think Ms. Member Kratz meant that. Um, Member McLaughlin, no, Mr. Murphy. No, I didn't mean that. Sorry if that was taken out of context. Sorry about that. Mr. Murphy, then Member Van de Kloot. Thank you. Actually, Member Kratz, I always appreciate your willingness to find some middle of the road, some compromise. So thank you for offering that. And to my colleagues as well, I don't think that. Um, you know, I, I think this is a nuanced situation. I think we can all appreciate each other's position. I've been listening to you respectfully, um, and I can appreciate the complications involved in switching out a day. And obviously, if I don't have support for this motion, this motion will fail. So um, I can appreciate that as well. But I do want to be on the record um, saying that I did reach out to the central administration um, when we first learned of this and asked um, for some consideration for our Jewish community. And I do think it's a very important um, uh, stand to take here. And I do think as we're talking about anti-Semitism and all the other things that we're seeing um, around our communities, um, it, is, it is not only um, practical, it's both symbolic and practical. Um, additionally, as the parent of a child with an intellectual and developmental disability and the co-chair of the Special Advisory um, Special Education Parent Advisory Council for six years, I certainly don't want to speak for the uh, most vulnerable uh, students and families. Um, I do understand. I have uh, uh, lived it uh, every single day of my life for the past uh, 12 years, and I feel very blessed to have lived um, the experience that I have for the last 12 years with my daughter. But I also know um, the very, very real challenges parents of children with disabilities face on a daily basis. And I have talked to so many that are at their wits end and I do understand that. Um, again, I feel like in a year's time, two years time, three years time, what will matter more to me um, on a moral basis. And I think um, frankly, you know, to others I hope is uh, uh, where we stood on this issue um, in terms of being able to respect um, everybody and give everybody the option and uh, allow for one day 
um, of uh, fasting and uh, celebrating as a high holiday for our Jewish community. And to the point that we haven't done this before, um, I don't think that's something that's a good thing. Um, I think that this is something that should have been addressed a long time ago. I was surprised that it wasn't. Um, and if I might uh, uh, just say again, if the motion fails, I do want to uh, thank the teacher who wrote to the patch today and thank Maria for speaking tonight and also apologize to um, our Jewish community and um, to wish them an easy fast uh, on Monday. Thank you. I forget who was next, I'm sorry. I think I was. Mr. Murphy. I'm next and I'll, I promise I'll be brief. I, I, I don't have an opinion to offer on the, the substitute on, on the question before the committee, I think this is squarely within um, the issues that the committee as the representatives of the community have to make. And I think with regard to the importance of the administration and the committee um, respecting each other's roles, our job is to provide you with, with the information um, to, to make an informed decision, which I think we have done through the superintendent's comments and others. The one clarifying point that I thought was important to make is that, and I, I'll just very briefly, I, I actually came into another role in a district one time where the committee uh, or an administration in that case were grappling with a very similar issue where the first day of kindergarten had inadvertently been scheduled on Rosh Hashanah. And there was, uh, as you would expect, criticism and pushback over that. That administration did change that decision to move the day. But the basis for the decision was that the first day of kindergarten was a particularly special day for families and that they didn't want the conflict with the holiday um, being on a day that, that was the first day. And the one clarifying point that I would make to this conversation is that this is not the first day of school. It is the first day of in-person instruction for a cohort of students. That's not to in any way say that that's not significant or that that's not important. There's, that it's, a, it's a big day on the calendar of the Medford Public Schools and that we're making that transition, but it is not as significant a day for the Medford Public School calendar as the first day of school would be as the first day of kindergarten would be and all of the sort of um, implications that come with those other days where there's more of a ceremonial uh, feel to it. So I say that not to say that somehow it's okay that this mistake was made. I say that to say that those who will be observing on Monday and therefore not participating in the day uh, will not be missing something as significant as uh, folks would be missing if it were a different day in, in the calendar. And so I say that only because if, if, that, if that is, if we do stick with, with the calendar that's in place, um, it is not the case that people are missing the first day of school. And I, I think that's worth noting. Member Van de Kloot, did you want to follow up? Uh, no, I just, um, so. Um, there's no, there, number one, we should, probably shouldn't take a vote because it wasn't on the agenda. Number two, there's no second. So we don't have a motion before us. Um, is there, are there any more emails? Yes. Um, thank you. Um, now where did I put that? I have too many windows. Um, oh, there it is. Um, this is an email, um, related to the, um, the metrics. Um, it's from Ingrid Moncada on Burgett Avenue. Um, just a reaction to what's been taking talked about right now, how they cannot disclose that sick cases are in my kids' classes. 
I wouldn't want my kid going to school if I wasn't notified when a classmate has the virus. They are assuming six feet distancing indoors is 100% effective, but I just don't think it is. Indoors, question mark. Little kids, question mark. Touching, taking out of their masks, grabbing things and wiping their nose under the mask, laughing, singing while their masks slip down their nose by accident. There is no way contact tracing is going to identify these situations. I want to know if a kid in my kid's class was sick, period. Um, let me just check if there's one more email that came in. I believe there is. Um, this is um, from Jean Sauter. Um, I don't have her address, but I have received it before, so I will add it to the record. Um, I am. It's, um, it will be helpful to parents to know the overall COVID rate for MPS students. Some schools are making this cumulative, this cumulative data public. Can the Department of Public Health and MPS commit to making this data public on the city's COVID data site? I understand MPS will alert parents when there is our cases in their school or cohort, but can we get the cumulative data on the tracking website? Um, I, if I may respond to that, Mayor. Um, um, there was an article I just read yesterday, I believe, where uh, Massachusetts is the, uh, one of, if not the only community that has no data or no plans even to provide school-based um, or district-based um, COVID data for um, zero to 18-year-olds specifically. Um, it was a bit of an uproar. Um, so I don't know that we have that data or even have access to that data. And is Marianne on who might be able to know, but that report, that was an article just from yesterday and it was no is the answer. We don't have it. We can't get it from DPH. They said they were not giving it. Uh, well, Ms. O'Connor is on. Let me get you unmuted because we were working that on that um, in City Hall. Hold on. Dr. Cushing, if you could help me unmute her, just when I click, it doesn't allow me to do it. Am I unmuted now? You're good. Yep. Okay. So yes, we can we can certainly provide that um, some sort of a dashboard uh, potentially. I think would be a good idea for um, you know uh, positive cases, cases in isolation, cases in quarantine, cases who have been released um, from both, both. So I think we can and should. You know, it would be helpful, I think, and people would be interested in um, that kind of a dashboard. And, and we certainly can create that and, and, and will. Thank you, Ms. O'Connor. Mayor, may I just have, ask a quick follow-up question on that? Uh, so, so Mar Marianne, will you be doing that yourself? Because what, I mean, I've seen all these emails from the Mass Association of School Committee and other school districts, school committees saying, really a lot of anger that the state has been clear they're not giving it they're not providing it so you're just going to do it by yourself yes we'll have to do it from the information that we receive locally from the state database uh, which is maven um, but yes we, we will have all the medford cases so we will know thank you so much that makes me really happy <laughs> thank you marianne thank you, thank you. remember so that's the last email that is the last email, yes, thank you. Okay. And I don't see any hands raised, so I don't. Um, Marsha. 
very much. Um, yes. And uh, the other question I had in regard to uh, COVID information is that I was wondering if the dashboard on page one could be separated from the rest of the document and posted uh, as a separate link so it's more clear what one is looking at uh, uh, in regard to the school and possibly with the school data that Marianne is so kindly thinking of, of doing. Um, that, sure, we'll do that. That, uh, thank you. And also, wondering about uh, whether it's possible to require that parents be tested as well as quarantine. And these are two questions. First question is, is it possible to, or at least encourage parents to be, to be tested? And also if there's a possibility, possibly by the city, I'm sorry, to, to burden you with this idea that, that uh, other contacts the family had when there's a positive case might be looked at because we know there's, this is how things spread. So, for example, if I was only so lucky to hug my grandchildren, which I have not since, since February, uh, I would be susceptible to, to being uh, a positive case. Um, that's all my questions. I'm sorry, I, I'm trying to understand the question. So, uh, if I may. Um, yes. So, if, if your grandchildren were positive and you were exposed, um, you would be identified and contacted as a potential close contact, right? Is that your question? I'm sorry. Would I be? Because it sounds like you're focusing on the just the immediate family of the children and not the people that they play with on, you know. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no. Yeah, no. It's whoever they come in contact with is who we're identifying. So we would be interviewing them extensively to find out who exactly they've been in contact with 48 hours previous to either symptoms or tests. Um, and so if it's the grandparents, if it's other friends, if it's other families, those would certainly be included as contacts and we would be contacting those folks. Is that, is that answer your question? That was, that was the second question. And the first question, would you, would you be encouraging uh, at least the parents uh, or the immediate family of the, of the child that's positive to be tested? Oh yes. So they would, if, if, if yes, the immediate household would be quarantined for 14 days, but we'd absolutely ask that they get a test. Typically on like the fifth, typically the, the fifth to seventh day is when um, the viral load would be enough for a test to, to show if they were positive or negative. But regardless of even if that test was negative, they would still have to quarantine for 14 days. Okay, thank you very much. I was concerned, my, in summary, my concern was community spread. Absolutely, you're correct. Yeah, it's a Thank huge, you. huge thing if there were an outbreak in, in the school system. Mm -hmm.
Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Rachel? Okay, can you hear me now? Yes. Great. Yeah, I wanted to speak as a parent in Medford and as um, a Jew in Medford about making the first day of school for any group of students on the holiest day of the Jewish calendar. Um, I think it's a terrible idea for students and teachers. That first day of school is so important in um, to everybody who anticipates making that first connection, and having um, and having somebody miss it really does make them stand out. And with rising bigotry and anti-Semitism throughout the country and also in our community, I think it's important to um, be particularly sensitive. And just so that you know, too, for this holiday, people who don't, it would be akin to scheduling the first day on for Christians on Easter or Christmas. People who are observant um, would spend the full day in fasting and prayer. Um, but many people who are not very observant who observe maybe one holiday a year, observe the Jewish high holidays. Um, just like say many Christians who don't go to church the rest of the year, but show up at um, Christmas and Easter. These are days that people engage in a full day of prayer and fasting and reflection. Um, and I really think that um, making it a first day, even if not for everybody, for, but for any subgroup of students, um, it would be very, it, it leaves people a terrible choice between um, this very important religious observance and that very important first day experience of meeting people for the first time. And that, and for kids with special needs in particular, coming in late might be particularly difficult. So I just wanted to make that point. And if anybody has any questions about what the holiday is and what it means, I'm happy to um, to Jews. I'm happy to try to answer that. Thank you, Rachel. Okay. Claire. Hi, good evening. Um, I'm Claire Flaherty, I'm at Marshall Street in Medford. I, I don't want to completely veer away from the other participants uh, question. I, but I, I wanted to talk about the remote learning academy, which I was Thankful I actually heard those words again tonight, which has been actually the first time I've heard those three words in a good couple of months. They seem to drop out of the communications and documentation as we ramped up towards the start of school. Um, I would like to talk as a parent, as a fully remote student. I've listened tonight and I've heard the anguish and the heartbreak and the difficulty of how do we get kids back in school? And I have absolutely no qualms that children need to be in school. However, I chose remote because I was still seriously concerned about the health of my son, my other son, my staff, the staff, the teachers, the community. When we were asked to make the decision, there was still un unclear data as to what it would look like. I also chose remote because I was concerned about the possible disruption to my son in second grade on a 504 plan to the potential of quarantining or having to come home or having the class suddenly be remote. I was concerned about that disruption um, 
to his schooling and to his anxiety levels. I had concerns about his ability to adhere to the very necessary rules that would be in place to have in-person education as he has um, learning difficulties that often cause him to be defiant for attention reasons. And I didn't want him getting in more trouble um, at a very tense time for staff. I also recognized that I had intense privilege that I was able to stay home and that my employer um, is also remote until January, 2021. And that I actually thought of the community need that someone else might need that in-person spot more than I did. However, this first week of remote learning, I would like the school committee to hear as a second grade family, it was probably one of the most intense and stressful weeks of our life as a family. I have serious concerns about the inequity that I see in class sizes for the remote only students. I completely understand that there are resource constraints, that there were scheduling constraints, that there were staff constraints. But when we got our class list the Friday before we started school on the Wednesday, we saw that the second grade class had 28 students. One teacher, 28 students. I've heard that there's a first grade class with 28 students, a third grade class with 31 students. I can see the numbers for just the Columbus school at the remote classes at 21, 23, 28, 23, 34. The numbers are not workable online with one teacher. The situation this week, I truly believe caused the early retirement of a beloved teacher and caused incredible stress for most of the families one teacher for 28 seven-year-olds, including several with 504s and IEPs. It was a hellscape. And it's not for good intentions. The teachers are lovely and trying very, very hard. The parents are trying very, very hard. The children are trying very, very hard. But there's a huge difference between the hybrid students having their mandatory remote learning with 10 students or 15 students, and the fully remote coming in with 28 or 30 students. The first day of class, my son was crying within two hours because he'd spoken twice. He'd said his name for attendance and he'd heartbreakingly said, I don't remember because he couldn't remember listening to everybody's what we did this summer because the last five people had said what he could remember. And now we're up to 28 people and he doesn't remember anything they said. I understand that the situation is far from ideal, but I would like to hear what the district can do, is willing to do, is looking to do to alleviate some of the stress and tension from these large remote classes. We have a new teacher, we have an aide. I don't know how long that aide is in the room but I've been shocked to hear from fellow parents around the district, 
to see just how large these classes are for young students. My middle school student is having a wonderful time. His classes are small, 10 to 13, and he's learning effectively. I'm really concerned about kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, who are trying to navigate online learning with disabilities and only having one teacher. I would like clarification from the district as to what is going to happen is as you said, more students choose to be remote because of academic or quarantine reasoning, the current remote classes will not sustain any more additions. I also heard that one of the reasons the classes are so large is because there was community concern about cross-registration with other schools. I was never ever asked if it would bother me that a teacher from another school would be teaching my son if it meant that he could be in a class of 20 kids. I was never asked that question and I would have chosen it in a heartbeat because the experience of the online education is paramount to the person who they happen to maybe see in the hallway next year. I also want to particularly ask and think, ask you to think about the concern, to see more concern and action around kids who are on 504s and IEPs who chose remote learning. It's not ideal. We know that as parents. We know we are going to have to put in a lot of work. But to be there on the first day of class with no aid and one teacher and 28 students, it was very clear that the, the remote learning academy did not think about my 504 child or the other children that were in that class. Thank you, Claire. I'm not sure if we're gonna take questions to be able to answer since none of this is on the agenda. Um, Mr. Murphy, could you, oh, I thought you raised your hand. No, I'll just say very briefly that with regard to some of the remote classes um, with, the, with the higher numbers, um, it is our expectation to have, uh, and, and again, the, the, the Numbers of students per class do vary, so this is not true across the board, uh, but there are a limited number of um, classes that are on the higher end of the total number of students that we intend to have um, two licensed educators um, supporting that class. So um, th that is one of the ways in which uh, we're addressing that the situation that we find ourselves in, which there are more students uh, than we would prefer, and at least with regard to some of the specific numbers that were mentioned. Um, that is our intention to have two licensed educators assigned to that class. Mayor? I, I just, um, oops. Dr. Edward Vincent. I just wanted to also, first, Ms. Flaherty, thank you for your feedback. Um, I wanted to also just provide a little clarification in terms of not trying to have students cross-registered across the district. Um, depending on the different grades, many students already had friendships within their existing buildings. And so one of the things we had thought about or had taken into consideration was under the social emotional um, learning umbrella. So I would put it under that umbrella that even if students were in one of the remote learning classrooms, um, the likelihood of either knowing some of the other students 
um, from either last year's classroom that that was a greater likelihood. And some of the students within their um, remote learning classroom could potentially be some of their neighbors. So neighborhood children that they could cross paths with at other points in time. So that was the original thinking. Um, we have four classrooms that we officially identified that truly um, are oversubscribed. And as Mr. Murphy explained, we do have a plan in place where we are trying to definitely um, hire and have another licensed educator working in those classrooms. So those classrooms that are oversized will essentially um, break out and be in much smaller groupings. So that is something that is in the works. Um, we have positions posted for that. Um, and so again, if there does end up being a significant um, increase in requests for remote uh, remote instruction only, then we would have to look at the cross-registration um, function moving forward. So I just wanted to say thank you for the feedback. We took some notes and we know we have work to do, but we are, you know, we're going to keep working at it. Thank you. We have three members of the committee like to speak. I would just ask that there be no debating and there be no motions. We do have a meeting next week. So if you have a motion that will have to go on the agenda um, and be publicized. We have member um, Vanderkloot, member McLaughlin, member Graham. I would just like to ask that we get a report on um, class size at our next meeting um, so that we can see uh, what we're looking at. And including also where where where's um, who's got the assistant teachers and and where we're still trying to place them, and what we're doing until uh, we hire someone new. Member McLaughlin. Thank you. I wanted to thank um, Claire for uh, speaking up tonight. I know how difficult it can be, and especially when you're feeling vulnerable um, and exasperated. So I wanted to especially thank you for doing that. Um, and I also wanted to ask or, or suggest um, the Medford CPAC, medford.cpac at gmail.com. The folks there are super um, you know, responsive and also just a great community of moms who have been through, uh, and dads who have been through um, similar scenarios and situations and a great place to just talk and um, feel some community. So I wanna really encourage you there. Um, and it's really, really important for families like um, yours to come before the committee and let them know your lived experience uh, from your child with a 504 to children with IEPs and what have you. And I think it's a very, very, very important question that you're asking, how are we addressing remote learning for those children? Um, and we have to, and one of the issues I know CPAC has um, noticed and will be bringing up with uh, Joan Bowen later this week is the fact that there are not breakout rooms necessarily that are accessible for um, these children who sometimes might need a, a, a breakout or uh, access to the curriculum in that kind of a scenario. So I know CPAC is working on that um, as well. And I really encourage you to reach out to them. And I want to thank you very much for speaking up, Claire. Thank you, Member McLaughlin. Member Graham? Um, just a question for the superintendent. Um, if there are families in these bubble classes who would have jumped at the chance to be in a class that is not quite so large, even if it meant cross-registration, and they happen to still be willing to take you up on that offer, um, 
Can they reach out to you directly? Um, how would you like to know about those things? And then also, can we find a way to send a specific communication to the families in these classrooms so that we can be clear about how we see this working for their students as we go forward? Yes. Um, parents who are, uh, who are in the current four bubble classrooms that we have identified, um, they could email me directly. Thank you. Thank you. Kate. Hi, um, I just wanna, I know we've moved on from this topic, but um, I just had a couple of comments. One is regarding uh, Yom Kippur um, and that I, I understand it was a mistake. Um, I, I do. And I understand that it's not the first day of school um, but again, um, I think one day is really not going to make that big, a, big of a difference, especially considering the lack of communication with um, when teachers were told that we're starting on the 28th. Uh, for instance, I can't speak for all schools, but for instance, at my school, we were told yesterday that on Monday high need students would be um, returning on the 28th. I know that date was out there for a little bit, but it wasn't official until yesterday. And I, I know the negotiating team is still working. Um, so I really, I just like, for starters, the morale in the district right now is extremely low because of how teachers feel they have been treated throughout this entire process. And most of that has to do with the lack of communication with important information we need to know in order to educate our students. So if we're given a matter of days to prepare our classrooms and to get ready for in-person learning, Monday, the schools, at least I can speak for my school, they're not ready for Monday. That's, I just, I know you're not voting on this, but one day, would not make a difference considering the schools are not ready and having Yom Kippur off in the future I think is something that really needs to be looked at if we're going to have Good Friday off at the same time um, for most years we have Good Friday off I think to be inclusive in this community we need to either have both off or neither um, I think that's only fair in terms of respecting our entire community um, and I just wanted to say that um, I know it would be one day and it doesn't seem like a huge difference either way, um, but I think it would be a kind of olive branch um, to the school district, to the Medford community, to at least acknowledge um, that, you know, maybe we delay it a day just to acknowledge the holiday. Um, there's a growing number of anti-Semitic um, events all across the country, all across the world right now. So I think it's extremely important that we do our part in um, including this community. I am not Jewish myself, but I did go to Brandeis for college and I lived in New York City for six years. So I understand the impact of this holiday. 
Um, and I think people outside of the Jewish community probably don't, um, but it's something we really need to look at in the future. Thank you. Thank you, Kate. Um, we have a number of people that are gonna wanna speak. So if we could ask to limit to two minutes, um, that would be greatly appreciated. Next up is Amy. Hi, hello, good evening. Can you hear me okay? Yes. My name is Ami Sonier. I am an, uh, a teacher at Medford High School. I've been there for 20 years and I work with the English language learners um, at the high school. Um, there's been a lot of things that I've heard tonight, um, specifically coming from central administration and the superintendent's office about consistency. Um, the comment that was made just prior to my time to speak was also a comment that makes me feel um, like this is the right time to bring this to your attention. As a faculty at the high school, we wrote and sent an email to all of our school committee members this morning about our concerns with opening on Monday for our EL population. Um, the teacher who spoke prior to me is correct. We are worried. As a faculty, we feel like we have not been informed well. We feel like we have not been able to inform our students well. Our population specifically has language issues that make it hard for them to understand what's going on. We don't let that stop us. This is our family. These are our kids. We take care of this population every day. On March 13th, the day after school closed, we turned on a dime and made sure that over a hundred family members had food delivered to their house because they were used to picking up food as a part of our backpack program. We are focused on making sure that this population is heard and this population is often never heard. Um, I wanna just stress um, the importance of being fair here. Um, I know that we've heard about anti-Semitic um, uh, considerations and I want to really be clear in this um, climate as a country and as a world um, uh, looking at institutional discrimination even when our intentions are good even when we are working with the most vulnerable student populations I think we have made some decisions without asking our families so I wanna to speak tonight to the fact that we are concerned as a faculty that having our students come in on Monday on the turn of a dime yet again, when we have worked really hard to get them set up on Zoom, to have them all settled in and finding safe spaces to be able to do their schooling, having them come in on Monday without being able to prepare their families, without being able to translate some of the issues that are happening, and also because we are mostly concerned about the fresh air exchange return rates in the high school. We know that those classrooms have been tested. We know that the test results are not back. I am concerned that without meaning to, we are putting our most vulnerable populations, our minority populations, in a situation where they're being asked to go back to school with a setting that is not safe. I don't want them to be considered guinea pigs. I don't want to rush into this because we're in a pandemic. I want to be mindful about this because we're in a pandemic. 
I really want to make sure that you hear from us as the teachers working with these families. These kids are scared. A lot of them are working with uh, home situations where they are being counted on to take care of kids, to bring in money for the family. Some of them have children of their own. Others are living with grandparents. They are not ready to come into school on Monday. And we're not ready to tell them that this is a safe decision. We have been put into a category of um, high needs and we, all of us, wanna be in that building teaching those kids. But we do not feel like the way that things have been set up and the way that things have been communicated to us make us feel like this is a safe way for our students to begin their school year in the building. Thank you, Amy. 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 That's okay. Sorry. Emily. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Um, my name is Emily Polini, and I also teach at the high school. I teach the English language learners. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak tonight. Um, I feel compelled to speak because we got wind yesterday, as many teachers um, have already spoken, that the plan is to move forward with September 28th start date for the high school Yale students. Um, this is last minute and rushed. My students and I are being told to go into a building on Monday that has not gotten the fresh air return exchange rate report. And Yale families need to be told that so they can make an informed decision. As a teacher of this vulnerable population, I have received only the bare minimum of information and no concrete plan. I do not know what classroom I will be teaching in. Some of our classrooms has classes have 23 students and the only classrooms that are big enough to accommodate them are windowless. I do not know of any of the logistical procedures. I do not know what resources will be available to me. Most importantly, I do not know which of my students have officially elected to go remote. I am not sure that the school knows this information either because I would expect they would have told me. I have been in direct communication with my families and I can tell you that they feel equally confused, unsettled and rushed. Many have told me that they do not want to come in at all. The high school EL team does not have the bandwidth to offer both a remote learning academy and an in-person model. My understanding is that newcomers will be moved into remote mainstream classrooms, except for English. And this is not supporting our most vulnerable students. I urge the school committee to vote to slow this process down at the high school until we have enough time to create a solid plan and communicate this plan to families. We also need to gather data about which families wish to go remote and make a plan and an option that will ensure their success. Thank you for all your hard work this year. You have been truly given an impossible task and thank you again for letting me speak. Thank you, Emily. Monica? May I appoint a privilege? Point of privilege, Member McLaughlin. Thank you. I, I need to just let folks know um, the reason that we're perhaps not, um, con you know, having a back and forth um, is because this is not on the agenda. And so we're limited by um, the open meeting um, law. Um, and, you know, we can request that it be on the agenda for Monday. Um, and I think we should, um, although that's obviously going to be Yom Kippur and um, the first day that our vulnerable population goes back, including our EL community. So um, I just want to make sure that people understand that that's why there's not 
um, a back and forth dialogue. And thank you very much for um, your passion and for all you do for the community. Ami and um, Emily, thank you. Thank you, McLaughlin. Monica? Yes, hi. Um, I feel a little bit silly about asking this. I, I teach at the high school and um, I teach language and I, I'm very privileged that my, I, have a, I have one of my four kids goes to Kids Corner, uh, which is the little daycare that we have at the high school. And I've just been a little bit worried because um, right before the school started, right before we faculty went back at the end of August, we were told that, uh, that Kids Corner would open for our children. And unfortunately, um, we were told, then we got another email saying that the Kids Corner was going to open um, not before the 16th. So I got a little bit worried because from the start, you know, I want to be able to give 100% attention to remote teaching and not have the child um, in my background. I don't think that's fair to my kids, my students, uh, or, or my child. And unfortunately, we haven't heard anything. So Kids Corner has been closed. We heard that they're doing the air testing quality and I really appreciate And again, I, I don't want to speak, I don't want to say anything uh, negative about um, anyone. I, 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 this is just, I just would like to know, will it open? Is it going to open? Uh, it's not so easy. I've called so many daycares. Everybody's full. I'm very grateful because something good always happens. So I, I was able to find someone to come and watch my daughter um, while I do remote, um, teaching, but I, I, I would just like to know if that will be a possibility. Cause then if, if kids corner won't be a possibility, that's okay. But I do have to really invest and find, you know, uh, another accommodation of childcare for my daughter. So that's it. Thank, Thank you. you. Uh, um, if we could get an answer to that, if anybody has it, otherwise we can um, work on getting Monica an, an answer. With regard to kids corner, Mayor. Yes, please. Uh, our hope and expectation is for Kids Corner to be up and operational, and I, I, I think we'll have a definitive answer on the exact date that that's going to happen tomorrow, and we'll communicate that out to families, but um, I certainly would not say that it's not going to be Monday, so that, that's sort of our, that, that's what I anticipate at this time. Thank you. Thank you. Member Vandekloot? Yes, I just um, uh, just want to clarify um, that we have an expectation of having the airflow rate reports for the high school um, back tomorrow. Is that correct? No. No? No, no not, not, not for the high school. What we're doing right now, and just brief, briefly recap, because I, I think it would we're obviously going to have other opportunities to speak about this at greater length, but um, we're asking the company that is doing the air exchange testing to begin to, while we will still test every corner of every building, we're now targeting the testing over the next several days to ensure that we've gotten um, baseline data in the areas that we know we need to move faster on. And the areas that we are moving faster on, as in, expecting to have students in cohort A service there on Monday are uh, areas that uh, we have reason to believe we're in good shape due to the state of the HVAC system 
um, we did get our first um, collection of data in the, within the last 24 hours. And well, again, with it not being on the agenda, I, I'm hesitant to, to go into details about it, something that we didn't have the information until after the deadline for this for the agenda of this meeting being posted. But I will just say um, it is there's a clear correlation between when the HVAC systems are functioning and the air exchange rate. That shouldn't be a surprise to anyone, um, but that's sort of uh, where we're at and also part of why we have confidence in uh, being ready on Monday, even if we would not be ready if school was opening at 8.30 tonight. Um, there's absolutely a lot to do. There's information the community is owed. There are questions that absolutely have to be answered. Um, but it's our expectation that we'll be able to operationalize to get to a place where um, we're able to function and serve students on Monday, as well as we are generally on the first day of school, which is always has a certain level of chaos. That I think you know is generally expected, but this is that, that's what we're driving toward right now. Thank you, Member Graham. Um, I want to be clear that we will not be using classrooms in buildings that have not tested to meet the specifications of the agreement that we reached. Is that correct? Yes. So if we don't get reports tomorrow, there is no school on Monday. Is that correct? If well, we don't get the remaining reports. We have some reports, but yes. But if we, and if we get reports that a classroom does not meet our standard, what happens? Class, individual classrooms and learning spaces that have not met the a threshold uh, consistent with the ASHRAE standard will be temporarily closed. And there will be signage on, on it saying that they are temporarily closed pending the resolution of HVAC issues or supplemental filtration systems that will increase the air exchange rate to the ASHRAE standard. And if that happens to be a classroom where um, some of these uh, teachers who spoke earlier tonight are expected to teach on Monday, what happens to their classroom? Their classroom would be temporary, temporarily moved to somewhere else within the building. And how, how will they be notified of all of that? Uh, supervisors will be communicating that over the next several days as we're able to make further determinations as to what rooms are being affected. We'll be doing walkthroughs between now and, and Monday. And obviously I prefer closer to now and Monday. And is there a way that we can conduct some sort of staff meeting with the various um, folks that are involved in this? I know time is tight, school is in session, but I feel like there's a lot of good work that has been done to ready these classrooms. Um, and the information is, it, it, the, the flow of information and communication, I think we all know leaves a lot to be desired in our district and it's something that we need to continue to work on. Um, but in this moment, I think being on the same page is um, the most important thing that we can do. And it's clear that we are not on the same page. So I'm hoping we can find a way to get ourselves on the same page in the next week and then superintendent, if there is assistance that arms and legs provided over the weekend um, will help make sure these buildings are ready 
um, please call me. I will make myself available. Um, I will do whatever it is that you need me to do to make sure that this return is as smooth as possible. Um, I don't go anywhere. I'll go get COVID tested tomorrow if you need me to. I'm here to, I'm here to lend my arms and my legs, but also I, I think we need to find a way to get ahead of all of this so that we are not continuing in this sort of vicious cycle that we are in where we are only a few steps ahead of where we need to be. So we need to think about that. We need to get on the same page with the staff we're expecting to return on Monday. Um, and if you need my arms and legs, please call me. Thank mm -hmm. you. Thank you. Yes. So a lot of information to follow in the next couple days. Yes. I have information, Mayor. Point of information, Member McLaughlin. Um, I would say you can add me to that volunteer list if you need anybody. Thank you. All seven of us, I'm sure. Um, there's no further hands raised, and we don't Charlene's have anything else. Say that again. Charlene's hand is up. Charlene Douglas. She put it down, so I'm wondering no. if that answered her questions. She She's muted, and she's... <laughs> no? No, well, her hand was up, but then when Jenny asked the questions, I think her hand went down. I didn't put her hand down. Someone put my hand down. My hand oh. did not put down. Oh, okay, okay. Ms. Douglas. All right. So it me. saddens me to even have to speak tonight. I really want to come here and not speak at all. To listen to my teachers, especially my the three L the three EL, EL teachers tonight in tears speaking. We're not ready. And that saddens me. There is nothing more than us wanting to be back in the schools. Nothing more than that. And you know that. And you all know that. But we are not ready. The era, the fresh air returns, we have an MOA. We have an agreement. You and I all know that agreement. I don't, I did not want to speak tonight. But I have to defend those three, four teachers that have spoken tonight. They've called me. They've texted me. They have plans. Those students, our newcomers, you know what? They can't, those parents can't speak. Those teachers are speaking for those parents. And we need to really think long and hard about that. And that's all I'm going to say. And it pains me because believe me, this is the last thing I want to do tonight. But I can't sit in silence and let those teachers, I cannot do that. So you all need to think long and hard. And Maya, you said last week that the schools were ready. We had quality air. It's not about the quality of air. It's about the fresh air return rate. And you know that. I'm done. And don't ever, ever put my hand down again. Yep, that was not me. Well, someone did. Mr. Murphy. I, I just want to, um, in part, echo uh, Ms. Douglas's comments and, that, and, and assure the community that um, many of the challenges and concerns are ones that are fully recognized by the district administration and are ones that we take full responsibility for resolving. Now, the first day of school 
or the first day of in-person instruction for cohort A, or the first day we do anything, we'll have challenges and difficulties. And no one is trying to downplay those, nor shirk responsibility for um, our obligation to minimize them as much as possible in order to ensure it's a, it's a good um, a good day for students to, to build momentum toward a positive school year. Uh, we, as I said, if we were to be opening school at this moment, there's no question we are not ready for a variety of reasons. There are infrastructure issues we need to resolve. There are staffing issues we need to resolve. I imagine there are some curricular and programming issues that we need to resolve. Um, but we're not opening school tonight. There will be a lot of work done over the next several days. I do not think the first day will be perfect, but I do think that um, we, we will get done what we, what we need to get done. We'll be as responsive as we can to questions and concerns from families, from staff, and from students to help them through the various uh, challenges that, that are going to occur. And we will continue to partner with all of our bargaining units, particularly the teachers uh, and the union leadership to make sure that we are receiving and listening to the concerns that are raised and being as responsive as we can, consistent with our obligations to the Medford community. And those obligations do include creating the opportunities for students to come back and receive in-person instruction. So um, I, I, to, the, to the sort of broad claim that, student, that schools are, quote, not ready, um, I would say that I think it's premature to, for, for, to sort of have that label. Um, but I, I think that uh, all of us know that and are looking forward to the work in the next several days to iron out these issues. And frankly, that work will continue throughout um, and, and, and be as responsive as we can over the next several days and weeks as we settle into this, this new routine. Thank you, Mr. Murphy. Ami, if I could limit you to two minutes. Um, let me just unmute you. Hi, I won't need all two minutes. I just wanna address Mr. Murphy directly. Um, I do think that I wanna say to you as a teacher and somebody who has valued working for the community of Medford for a very long, long time, we are here. We are your resource. We are your eyes and ears. We are your front line. And we need to be involved in this dialogue. And we have been waiting for somebody to ask us what we think. We have been waiting for somebody to have us be a part of the system that supports our kids. These are our kids and we care about them so much. And I wanna just make sure that please reach out to us. We wanna be a part of the solution. That's it. Thank you, Ami. Um, I think that, yeah, and I think that's where the difficulty is. We're, we're trying to listen to every phone call and email and message we receive, and there's no right answer here. Many families are begging for our students to be back, especially our most vulnerable, and then we have, you know, the issues that you've brought up tonight. So we're, we're trying. Mayor, I so. Thank you. I have another email that came in. Um, and I just took my glasses off. 
sorry. Um, it's from uh, Jamie Taylor at 40 at Burnt from Burnside Street. Um, is it possible to explain how the numbers will work when middle school and high school are supposed to be phased back into the buildings? If a teacher is teaching remote, that leaves an empty classroom for the hybrid students. Where is that body coming from to teach those students, those children, excuse me, and do the parents who are choosing hybrid understand that the days their child is not in school, their children are learning completely asynchronously? The superintendent would like to speak to that. Well, um, with this being with school having started last week and now we, here we are midweek. So for students that are receiving the full remote instruction right now, um, when we get into the phased hybrid, um, we can work at, at doing an additional communication to specifically point that out. But that's what um, was in our dynamic um, framework, which talked about cohort B and cohort C, that when they were physically in school, they would receive in-person instruction. And on the other days, they would receive asynchronous um, instruction. So we can um, go back and uh, send out those particular pieces of the documentation to provide um, greater clarity for families. Thank you, Dr. Edward Vincent. Is there a motion? Motion to adjourn. Seconded by. Second. Member Graham, roll call. Um, Jenny Graham. Yes. Kathy Kratz. Kathy? Oh, she's on mute. Melanie McLaughlin? Yes. I just got to unmute. Sorry, I couldn't unmute. I'm here, okay. yes. So, Kathy? Yes. Melanie? Yes. Uh, Mia Mastone? Yes. Paul Rousseau? Yes. Paulette Vanderclut? Yes. Mayor Lungo Kern? Yes. Seven in the affirmative, zero in the negative. Meeting is adjourned. Have a good night, everybody.